Okay, we will... Um, why don't we read... Hey, I got an idea. Let's read that chapter up through 12 verses in one. Matter of fact, let's, it's Nehemiah 8. And uh, since they all stood for a few hours, we can stand for a few minutes. Let's stand. All the people gathered as one man at the square which is in front of the water gate and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses to which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose and by, beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on his hand and Padiah, Mishael, Asham, Hashbadah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Hamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Talita, Azariah, Hazabad, Hanan, Peliah. The Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Yes. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> they understood the Word. That's what this is all about. When we get in around Bible study and preaching and teaching of the Word of God, when Christians get together, it's to be able to understand God's Word. That's really what it is. It's an ever-going, it's an eternal thing to be understanding God's Word. The Word of God is a great source of joy. It is the source of joy. Boy, if only the world knew this, huh? This is where you get it. Everybody's looking for it. It doesn't last very long for what they find if it's not in the Lord Himself. He possesses it. He owns it. It's His. So He reveals it through this. Right in here. Right in His Word. Great salvation. So, when we read this text, we get this obvious fact, the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine people get excited and they get joyous, you know, and they get on those game shows and some of them will be jumping up and down. I don't know if they're told to do that or whether they're really that excited. Are they really that excited 
Well, and then you start asking, well, I wonder how much money's in this thing, you know. If we're talking thousands of dollars, you know, I might be jumping too, you know. But somebody gets a promotion or some kind of, um, you know, good news, you know, they get all joyous and giddy and everything. But only those who know the Lord really can enjoy and truly enjoy what, what it's about. And even despite the circumstances. You think of uh, David, King David. He knew what joy was about. Of course, we read some of the Psalms earlier. They're just full of rejoicing, full of gladness. And at times you look at David, you know, he's getting chased down by by the enemy, which is, you know, his his own king and his people. There were some pretty terrible moments, but he always knew where joy was at. He, He... he would maybe have to put his eyes upon where he needed to be looking at sometimes. Look in Psalm 13, verse 5 and 6. I see a lot about David here. He wrote this. He's a choir director, and he wrote this psalm. People would later sing it. It's about prayer for help and trouble. Well, there's only six verses, so we're going to read the whole psalm. How long, O Lord? Look at that. That's what he starts with. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? <laughs> so, have you forgotten me, Lord? How, how long is this going to be? How long will you hide your face from me? What are those two words? How long? Verse 2, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Look at this. How long is this, this going to happen? Have you forgot about me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Doesn't sound too good here, does it? First three verses. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. We've gone through four verses. That's 67% of this chapter. And he said, how long, Lord? But I have trusted in Your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in Your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. There is the right way to look at it, isn't it? First four verses, he saw his circumstances. He was looking at that. And then he got his eyes on the Lord. I trust in His loving kindness. I trust in His mercy, His kindness. And I rejoice. Look at my salvation that I have. He knew he had salvation. All of a sudden... It gets things in the right perspective, doesn't it? Strength of the Lord there. Four times he cries out, how long? Ongoing sorrow. Um, but it's not the joy of circumstances, obviously. As he talks about joy here, and we see his circumstances, about as bleak as it could be. But he focused and he trusted on the Lord. Paul knew the same thing. And of course, we think of the... Uh, well, Bobby brought it out there, the, the jail where he's singing, the Philippian jail and the song him and Barnabas are singing. <laughs> That was a terrible time. And they're singing. Praises to God. Fellow Christians, you know, could be even bad mouthing him or so called Christians, as we think of 2 Corinthians, you know. But you look at Philippians, and it's known as the book of what? Joy. <laughs> it's a book of joy. But it, and it commands the believers to rejoice, rejoice always. Paul 
knew what reality was, though. You know, he went through the stuff. It was a spiritual reality, and he chose to rejoice in the Lord. Could have chose to be bitter about it, but he wasn't. He chose to rejoice because he knew he had the strength. The Lord's strength. Look where uh, joy comes out of. Uh, you go to, back to Nehemiah now, and. Uh, verse 9 we first see this right at the end of it for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law they heard it and it affected them matter of fact it, uh, what did it do to them what's the Holy Spirit do it convicts us they were convicted of their sin where they were at they, they definitely knew that as they had gone through so many of those and they were like tears of repentance when you get into chapter 9 it's an extended prayer of confession you know somebody can have a superficial joy and just shrug things off and just pay no attention to sin it's no big deal uh, that's not really the, the joy of the Lord But the irony in Scripture is that one can mourn over sin and yet rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) That's where it starts. They were repentant. And then seeing that God forgives them when they're truly repentant and confessing that, and that's what they wanted to do, then it was time to rejoice. Don't don't spend so much time on on, um, the grieving now. It's a time for uh, having a festival. Yeah, the gospel's a medicine. At first, it can seem like it can be not very tasty, <laughs> but yet it can heal, right? That's a good medicine. The gospel is, comes in and opens us up, gets into the wounds, and then all of a sudden it starts healing. Born repentant in their in their soul. What's that? Yeah. Right. So that's what I needed, right? I didn't know I needed that. Wow, it's amazing. And that's getting really to the truth rather than just covering over it, isn't it? Get a picture of a of a sickly uh, mother who gets out of out of her sick bed to fix a meal for her children or her husband or something like that. You know, she's still out of the love in her heart she forgets about herself and goes and does that because in that verse 10 the second part of it it says uh, uh, send fortunes to anyone who has nothing ready for this day it's always love so it's like you know the part of their command to the people is you know get your mind off yourself and you're sort of you know go go and share with others mm-hmm. you know just remind them of the uh, a mother who's sick and still gets up with this. 
Sacrifice, right? Yeah, the best example you can do is when you teach English circumstances, you're trying to get something better. That's what that's what really useful. Must be something to it. I can do about my life. I like doing something better. Find your joy in, in your strength in the Lord when you're not strong and when you're when you're down when I am weak when you're you're down and out find your strength in the Lord by getting out of yourself and going and singing and talking to somebody else and helping them absolutely it's amazing what a change that can make right there doesn't it how God made us actually spiritual walk um, joy of a forgiven soul. Nothing better, right? And then setting our thoughts on the things above. I think of Colossians. Colossians 3, those first four verses. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Then we'll see Him. But as for now, He says, live in the heavenlies. Seek the things from above. Probably a way to live our lives, isn't it? of Psalms. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. I read this earlier. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. All the great feasts in Israel that they had, those seven feasts, they were a reminder of how abundant God's mercies were. In spite of the people's sin and their failure that they had, you think in Psalm 32, matter of fact, that whole psalm is, and he, and he ends up with it in verse 11 there with that great verse that sticks out. Psalm 32 is about forgiveness. And when he sees the forgiveness of God after he's seen that he was, this was probably done after his time, you think of Bathsheba and the sin that went all with that. And then he went on for like a year until the prophet Nathan came to him and said, You are that man. And then he confessed his sin. Psalm 32, by many commentators would say this would be uh, his confession, forgiveness. Matter of fact, it would be good to read that. Psalm 32.1 How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. How happy is the one whose sin is forgiven whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He imputed that upon Christ who took our sin, right? And whose spirit there is no deceit. 
When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. By the way, oh, I forgot a word there. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach Him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, mercy, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. This is David confessing his sin. Now can you see where verse 11 fits in with the rest of this? He was confessing his sin and he realized how blessed it is. Psalm uh, 51 is uh, a confession of his sin. Here it's uh, how blessed it is to be forgiven. He sensed that forgiveness. God answering that and he, he sees where joy comes out of. Where God had been brought to him, brought him to repentance, sorrow over his sin, and God never leaves you there. He replaces it with a flood of joy. Doesn't leave you in that aspect, does he? That's why we play that dancing generation song. It's all about the mercy of God. Your mercy taught us how to dance. Uh, and then it's, it's the overflow of a forgiven soul. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we've seen you, God. You know, so we're in the fourth phase of God. That's right. So. <coughs> you think of all those songs, and they come almost yeah. like right out of the songs, really. Uh-huh. Just you know, verses that are put together. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's very very helpful as we think about those songs we know, you know, and you go through those and you go, what? That's basically just repeating scripture, isn't it? And you pour over these right here and just um, the forgiven the forgiven soul, right? <laughs> And to think they had who knows how many musicians they would have when when David Tabernacle, for instance, and the, the choirs that would be singing. They would sing antiphonally, one answering the other with all these instruments. One instrument probably wasn't very loud, but you get enough together, it's like voices, and it must have been just uh, uh, 
super joyous worship that they they had then. Interesting. Does doesn't it? Sure does. He was uh, be interesting to hear his music uh, the way it it sounded originally, and uh, you know can't buy any CDs. Takes a, takes in all the talents to put those together, doesn't it? Sure does. Um, look in verse uh, Nehemiah eight twelve. We're just kind of skipping on different verses on this section here tonight. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. That's, that's the second time we've seen that. But there was a great rejoicing because the people understood. Now, they not only understood, but they, now they wanted their lives to change. They wanted to do, to live out this word. And it's because of His magnificent promises. I'm sure those were covered as they read for hours on end and studied under the, the teaching there. <coughs> Go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Think of the promises that have been given us. How can you not be joyous when you think of these? Second Peter 1, 4. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Been escaped by the things of the world, partakers of God's nature, children of God. That's a overpowering verse. That's a makes you want to rejoice. We've been studying Second Corinthians on Sundays, and in that very first chapter, I've been kind of reading and pouring over that the last couple of weeks. In verse uh, eight and nine, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. What did you say a while ago? When you don't have any strength left? Now we know it's all His. When He had nothing left. This is how far God took Paul and some of the other ones that were traveling with Him. Went to the point of sheer exhaustion, physically, mentally, spiritually. They were like out. They were like dead men. And yet God's strength comes in there. Anyway, by the way, the word comfort means what? We discovered it's in there ten times. It means what? Paraclete. To come alongside. To strengthen. Right? It was beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. That's how Paul didn't see that there was any way to continue on unless God comes and does something. Indeed, we had the sentence of death. They went as far as they could have without dying within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. God did that so that they wouldn't trust in themselves. But in God who raises the dead. They were as good as dead, weren't they? God raises the dead. 
they put their trust in Him who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope. And He will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through our prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. There's joy. You don't see it. But that's joy, isn't it? Because he realized where the strength came from. Because he had nothing left. It was all gone. Completely. He couldn't have gone any further. He he was this close to death. It was all God's strength, wasn't it? And that's why he uses the word comfort in verse 3. In verse 4, three times. In verse 5, one time. In verse 6, three times. Verse 7, one time. Comfort or strength. (laughs) Comfort. The God of all comfort. The God of all strength. Get aside of a rhetorical question. Rhetorical. Yeah, to kind of pose out there. Well, wasn't this just all about a wall? Okay. Putting up a wall? Okay. Nehemiah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I mean, hey, I, I just thought it was about a wall, right? Go ahead. Well, I went back and started reading the beginning again. In the first That's the chapter. text. That's the context yeah. of those chapters, isn't it? And really, let's see what God wants to build up here. I mean, the wall was the first, you know, doings. They had to get together and do that. But when he was, uh, let's see, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down, wept, and mourned for days, continued fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. Said, O Lord God of heaven, the great, awesome God who keeps covenant, steadfast love with those who love Him, keep His commandments. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and statutes and rules you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, and so on. So it's like I'm beginning to see uh, the wall was a physical thing that manifested, but now it looks like we're working on a different build-up. There's a different building. Right. The the people. The wall was a divider. Well, it, it's the image of them being broken down and burned up, and you know, because it, it talks about that up here in verse in chapter one too. The wall is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire, and the, the remnant is there in the province, and uh, and they've survived exile. And so they're just all broken down, burned up, smoky, stinky. You know, they're just they 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 need a good selling, trading each other. Yeah, they need it. They really they boy. They forgot who they were, what they had. Yeah. So this wall. That's why I started out with that question because it's like you know, it 
it's a really good analogy. So what's that analogy? Sometimes we think we're the building wall. Well, so just building just the it's, yeah. well, yeah, it's like this you building is brick and mortar. It's not really the church, but right. but yet, you know, if let's say this place burned down, well, we'd have to all work together to come again, come together somewhere else and put something together. You have to build the walls up again to meet, or to you, you know, you have to take care of that part of the basics, and and you know, provide for the people that way. And now we can have spiritual. What I meant was. about God's people coming together and doing a work of His, He's really the one giving us the strength to be able to do it. They recognize the people recognize that to do what they did, it took something supernatural because it had been like that for years, just just in shambles. Let it go. Yeah. Well, but, but God didn't do it. He let go. 
But the Nehemiah know it was going to actually lead to a spiritual awakening? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, or maybe that was just... Yeah, I'm pretty sure if he didn't, it would end up like Joseph. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm, I'm sure he needed to go. He needed to go. He had the opportunity to go. God wanted to go. It was all in God's plan, but right. didn't you realize it was going to lead to a, a spiritual renewal? I don't oh, I, I very definitely think that yeah, he did. So. It, it, I think that's really what he was mourning and weeping and praying over. Uh, was for the people's spiritual restoration, uh, you know, from the reports that he had gotten from his brother, whatever that came and gave him the well, news. Did he get those reports before he went over? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why he and, and quite a while before, because he had to work up, you know, the <laughs> courage to ask the right. king and, and pray and do, you know, and, and he, he had to, he had to get it set yeah. in his. Well, I guess that's, that's what I'm getting at. Wait. I think we question a lot of times God tells us to do this work and, and maybe maybe I'm just addressing it to me because I'm you know, I'm in a, a line of work that is rewarding and then at the same time frustrating and like why did I ever go to law school? But um, <laughs> but I I hope this is where God wanted me to be. I mean I guess he did. I'm I'm yeah. there. But do I do I see the spiritual um, ramifications of it, the spiritual application of it? I am hoping that somehow there is a movie, but it's where he wants to be, or it's not. And I hope he shows me that it's not. Sometimes, if that's the Am I making any sense? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about how how have I gotten to where I have gotten? Like God moved Nehemiah to the position that he was at. Not any person could just get there because they would want to, but how come he was there? I think at, and at the right time God set him up for all of those abilities to occur. God uses all of those situations and the the jobs that you have, the abilities and then, you know, he put it on on his heart, evidently, no doubt about it. And then he prays to God. We see he's a praying man. He's in tune with what God's will is, and he knows desperately. And I think, really, he knows that there needs to not only a wall to be put up, and, and it's just like when people need food. The first thing you do, you don't give them the gospel. You give them. Food. I mean, if they're really hungry, if they haven't eaten anything, give them something to eat first physically. And then you give them the gospel. Well, I think the wall is kind of like that. God was working in that. He showed how real he was. But I think Nehemiah, all the way through, he he may not know what what the next detail is here and there, but he had all the uh, the things that he needed, the resources that came from the king to be able to get him there to do that. Nobody could have done that without all that help. And uh, God using even you know a, a pagan nation and a country to help him do what he did. and But I think he had the spiritual aspect. He had a heart for uh, the people learning who God was. And he's not the, not the t- main teacher or even reader of the scripture here. He then turns it over to Ezra and some of the other ones. But he is there administrating all these things and, and yet he is really, I think he's really in tune with the Lord. But the Lord's sovereign way of, that put him there 
God is the one who did it. So in the job that you've done, if somebody was to look at you and see where you've touched some people in the past, you start looking at, well, don't you remember this? You could probably start, don't you remember that? And look what's going on now. But you don't really see all that. How does this fit in with God's plan? If all of a sudden some of those things are saying, wow, that was nothing. And you say, wait a minute. God used that for that person and this person and these people. You know, and then it's opportunity sometimes to share the, the Lord and in, 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 in living and you know, the very Word. Some oh. of my uh, Facebook friends and many of them are Christians and they have the greatest quotes from Christians in the past and Christians that in particular Spurgeon on this today. I can't quote it. But it started out by talking about the carter, which I didn't even know what it was really, and the, the cobbler and this and that. He started out by saying people think they need to be ministers or missionaries or, I don't know what this is, either Bible women. And he says when a person can be saved by hearing the cobbler sing or or by the carter by the side of the road, um, and that's kind of what I was getting at too. Our secular work, secular work, can be used by God, and that's where He put us. And and that's kind of what I see in my life. Absolutely. It looks like a secular work, but it's not. It's not secular, is it? No. It may not be a work in the church per se, but it's still that's how the church takes takes it out. We use those great opportunities. We're, we're tools. Tools for the Lord. It almost seems like the, when God gave Nehemiah this desire, this vision, this goal, this go to, um, as they start working, they start encountering trouble. And so, you know, he didn't plan for that trouble. You know, he planned for what he could prepare for to get the part, to get the rest necessary. And then he starts thinking about how the people are selling each other and the other folks. It just kind of starts to move. Because uh, it's like you know, if anybody here plays chess, you know you have a game, you have a predetermined strategy on how you want to play, and when the other person makes a move, then you switch your strategy up to fit their play, um, but not always to the win. So it's like a, they were working, and he was getting getting God's job done. The thing came, his oppression, his attack, and you know might have to fix something. And he has continued to fix it. And he always prayed. Yeah. Pray. Yeah. Pray. 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 It just somehow it led to the whole city being <laughs> 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 fixed. It's like, it goes back to Bob. It's like, well, we're just building a wall, and now we're in the world. These people are repenting. Guess what? It's like, what is going on here? It's like, Nehemiah was the tool, and he had like a job to do, and after he was doing it, it just led to more and more and continued to grow and grow. And it was just and he gave up a, a really cushy job. <laughs> Best job he could have. Yeah. In yeah. some ways, of course. <laughs> you were speaking of Spurgeon. And uh, he had a sermon based out of Romans 5.11 which says, and not only this, but we also exult or Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We took that verse, built on it, did a 
sermon about it. And he says, he was dealing with a topic that was far beyond his ability. When he comes to talk about joy in God, it was far beyond Spurgeon's ability. And wow, so who am I here to say anything about joy if Spurgeon is saying that? You know, and um, I think we we tend to find joy in in other things. Uh, of course, we find joy in the, in the beauty of God, God's creation, don't we? We find uh, joy in sometimes just having health uh, that that's good. Um, we find joy in food, don't we? We enjoy food, uh, possessions such as you know, home, car, computers, gadgets, what have you. And, and as long as we are thankful and acknowledge that they they come from God, it's His, you know. But really, the joy comes in what knowing God Himself, and that is our chief treasure. He is our chief treasure, right? That's right. He is our feast. He is our peace. I like peace. <laughs> yeah, He is our peace. He's, he's everything, isn't He? He is. Um, if everything was to be stripped away from us, you know, we enjoy some of the things that we use, you know, regardless of whatever, we use it to be able to function in this life, whatever. But if everything was taken away from us, we had nothing left, could we still rejoice? Yeah. We're commanded to, aren't we? That symbolized everything being taken away. Just really having nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We could be. Yeah, I know. I think that one's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Yeah. Can you read that? The psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion for death. There you go. There you go. That is on your outline somewhere in, in after on E, joy in God Himself. You took right there. That is that says it, doesn't it? And that's that's what it's about. Whom whom do I go to? Right? Whom whom else can we go to? Lord, you are everything. There's nothing. Whom I have in heaven but you. Besides you, uh, nothing. And that's the attitude that we're all supposed to have. That is, that's it. Psalm writer again uh, hits it on the head. Zephaniah 3.17. There's one you don't go to too much. I bet you. Well, it, could we read it off the wall? <laughs> you know, and if, if your pages turn real quick... Lord, your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love and he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. 
and we'll sing over you, right? Isn't that great? What a voice that has to be. The perfect voice of all voices. We will sing with glorious voices, with perfection, and yet God will be singing too. You think He would just take in our singing, but He sings to us. Oh, everything. (laughs) Although our voices will be the chief of the instruments. It's It's an incredible instrument, isn't it? The human voice. But those instruments, can you imagine what that's going to be like? Like I need to, we can beat up. Maybe it's not like a drum and a guitar. Oh, I'm just saying, that's really ultimately what it's about, isn't it? A lot of people can't wait to get to heaven because of all just you know the physical surroundings. That's not why we go to heaven. It's it's him. It is him. How many how many gospel quartet songs What's that? The streets of gold. Oh yeah. But it's him himself, isn't it? That's what it's about. That's what we rejoice in. Hey Bob, could you close us in prayer? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for tonight, for this gathering around Your Word. Um, we uh, praise You for Your great glory, for Your compassion, and for Your mercy. And uh, we, we want to bless Your Word tonight, Lord, that uh, it would sink into our hearts and uh, help us through the days and uh, at times when we need it Lord will the word uh, come to our mind and comfort us with the comfort that only you can get the peace of God through your son we pray and we leave out of here what's the word what are we commanded to do to rejoice